we have a very uh, ad lib style show today for a few reasons. One, because it's the holiday season, and uh, I didn't want to harass any guests to come on. Two, we've sort of been, you know, back pocketing some some topics for a while, uh, and I almost feel like we have a year's worth of small things that we kind of didn't have time for, or I wanted to comment about. That sort of thing. The last reason is is because I've been saving up, and I, and I actually didn't bring any of them today. We're going to save them for next week. Um, but a whole bunch of just like really funny sound clips that I basically just wanted to play and then make Kevin really angry and listen to him like have an aneurysm for the next five minutes. So we're going to be doing that next week. But this week we have very loose format. Kevin's going to be sitting in with me for the whole show. And what the plan is today is that we're going to start... We're talking a little bit about the very recent Peter Mansbridge episode with the very dear leader, Prime Minister Harper. So I thought we should just start right there, Kevin, if that's all right with you. Uh, sure. Uh, yeah. So, uh, I mean, people are probably aware of this interview. <coughs> Excuse me. It has definitely been making the rounds. Yeah. It, it, the, yeah, sort of the meta coverage of the interview that has, has been making uh, the rounds, definitely. Uh, you know, i got to say, and a lot of people have been critiquing this interview, and, and I, was, I was certainly disappointed with it the first time I listened to it, and maybe the second time. But, uh, but you know, realizing after the fact, it's, it's probably better than it seems. Uh, you know, I, don't think, I don't think people realize um, just how few audiences um, uh, our dear leader grants to, uh, <laughs> to news media. Uh, he's he and and all of his avatars uh, avoid avoid the news media. Um, you know, I, I mean, they've they've even gone so far as to stage, you know, so you know, media events where where backbench conservative MPs lob scripted and softball questions at Stephen Harper, and he, I mean, bats them out of the park. What's and, your sign, Stephen? <laughs> but they're they're just they, I mean but the, the and these are presented somehow as like as like you know Stephen Harper answering questions, and the other thing if you want to you know kind of a good laugh but maybe not something that's really all that funny is that they have he, Stephen Harper has his own in house news service called Twenty Four Seven that I don't think anyone hardly anyone ever watched this I don't think anyone watches it now but we still pay for it because staffers are devoted to producing this little segment called Twenty Four Seven. if you follow it on Facebook whenever they post uh, a clip in, in banner letters it'll say exclusive well of course it's an exclusive you're the in-house propaganda machine it's, <laughs> he's not granting interviews to legitimate media and this is in-house content uh, produced entirely for political messaging, and I mean, but but they'll they'll slap the label exclusive on it, like this is some sort of news scoop by dedicated journalists, and it's not. So, I mean, even Vladimir Putin stood in front of the press for four freaking hours the other day, and I mean, he's a dictator in all but name. So so you know so then so you know compare that to Stephen Harper granting Peter Mansbridge, uh, possibly the most famous journalist in Canada, sixteen minutes. Of, of interview time at year end. So given that, um, uh, the fact that climate change questions f uh, featured so prominently in this interview, uh, I think, you know, if you, if, you, if you sort of look at the situation, you realize you know, in the way I've just described it, in, this is actually pretty prominent coverage, you know, all things considered. This is, this is climate change uh, factored quite highly. Uh, given the circumstances, so I mean, if people can watch this. It's still if you this if you haven't seen it, uh, CBC News is streaming it online. You can you can absolutely watch it. Uh, so, 
So yeah, I mean, it's better than it's better than it seemed, at least with regards to climate change. So we, I, I have several thoughts about that, but you, if if it's if I'm jumping ahead of you, you just tell me to to hold off. But the, the this is sort of where I thought an opportunity might be to ask you my first question, which I sort of warned you, uh, but you've had a night to sleep on it, uh, which was, and I know your answer was no, but I'm kind of hoping for a maybe, um, <laughs> and now that you've had a chance to sleep on it, which was, do, do you? Well, first of all, as a, as an opening thing, do you agree that? that interview was getting more rounds than other stuff. Do you think it was solely due to that? Uh, it w- was it just that it was his year-end thing, or are people c- caring a little bit more about, ooh, we finally heard from him. I'm interested in what he has to say. Or is it just news of the week? Like, Do you, do you really think that, that, that the interview and its critique, which has been almost as widely shared as, as the interview itself, which I, I think is rare, um, do you think people, people's uh, interest has actually been peaked? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I don't really know. Um, uh, he, he, there, he said some things. Uh, so, so definitely, people have been have been parsing this interview quite critically. They thought it was kind of a puff piece, and these were softball questions. And uh, I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not judging it as harshly as that. Uh, they, but it, it's, it does seem to be quite common now with the current affairs shows. That what they'll do is they'll get an MP. I mean, I guess when they can, they'll get an MP or a, a, a politician to come on, and they'll pose seemingly tough questions. And they might actually be tough questions, but there's so little follow-up uh, that that it kind of, in a lot of cases, it's still just a vehicle for talking points, even though on the face of it, they seem like tough questions. And for sure, there's I, I can't I can't for the life of me imagine that Stephen Harper didn't have these questions. Um, vetted through the PMO before he answered them. So so he knew they were coming. And when it comes to climate change, like, I'm sorry, but this is true for every current affairs show. The talking points they have been trotting out on climate change are so old and so tired by now that, frankly, every journalist in Canada has had time to fact check them. Mm. And since you know they're coming, since you know that you're going to hear uh, our GHG emissions are falling, they're not. You know, but you know you're going to hear that. And you're going to hear, well, Canada only emits 2% of the... Yeah, okay, that's true, but it's not accurate. So there's no pushback on these things. And again, with, with climate change talking points, they're so old and so tired, it's inexcusable that people haven't fact-checked these or come up with, like, credible pushback in, in the case of, like, actually correcting a fact or taking something like, you know, we're only 2% of GHG emissions and having sort of like a properly contextualized way to parse that when they hear it. And and also, we should, I'd like to pause you there on just one quick thing, which is that I, I remember being in first year and being surprised to be have my teacher point out that I actually was not aware of what the specific and, and functional difference between accuracy and, and precision is. Uh, and so just in case anybody uh, missed that fine point of, of what he, when Kevin and referencing the prime minister is talking about greenhouse gas emissions, the, the statement, Kevin lives in Canada, is accurate but not precise. And and that's sort of what you're getting at. Is well, he no, saying things that are technically true, but yeah. they're they're very they're very hard to use to make any conclusions about because they're kind of just barely technically true, and, and not actually useful for anything. As opposed to if I was trying to find Kevin, Kevin lives in Toronto is a far more useful piece of information. Yeah, look, yeah, a really good example is is I mean a classic denier, a line from the denier talking point script. And I might be getting the years wrong, but I'm, I'm probably not. But anyway, it's not even worth checking this out. Is like ice ice level increased by a record amount in the Arctic between 2012 and 2013. Well, that's true. It did. That's a true statement. 
but it but in 2012 it, the arctic ice level was at its lowest ever recorded level and then in 2013 the year later it rebounded by a record amount to the sixth lowest level of of ice ever recorded so one a one-year quote-unquote trend is utterly meaningless there's no such thing as a one-year trend and two, what you've got is this this temporary local uh, fluctuation, upwards fluctuation, in this relentlessly downward trend, an actual trend that is just precipitously downward. So you can say, you know, ice rebounded by like some 50%, like a record percentage amount. True. But in but it, it conveys it conveys this notion that ice level is increasing, which it isn't, so therefore it is not accurate in the sense that it's not it's not a relevant point to make about the you know what's what's happening with ice levels in the arctic yeah or i mean another more practical example might be you know i mean essentially you you can design any sentence to be accurate and not precise to mislead people so i could be like heaven why did you not meet me yesterday i said meet at three and you're like i was there at three but you were there at three o'clock on tuesday Right. So you can yeah. if your if your intention is to deceive, it's incredibly easy to make statements that are technically true. And if and if no one is aware of what the missing information, the information that would take it from accurate to accurate and precise, yeah. um, then it's very, very easy to mislead people. It's it's and really can, child's play if you're trying to do it. Yeah. And, and then you can also say things like our emissions are falling, mm. <laughs> which is which is which is just not true and not accurate it's just it's just wrong <laughs> well no but again I mean, I, i've heard him and sorry i'm glad you you came up to that point because that, that was something that you you mentioned yesterday when when we were speaking before the show but um that that's another case i think of him intentionally being accurate but not precise because what he's talking about is his own personal made-up way of measuring emissions where it's this uh, uh what, what is called the intensity targets right so when he's talking about falling these yeah. he's made up a metric that's specifically designed to produce a thing that he can accurately but not precisely say that things are falling when the entire system this this other system that nobody else uses has been created its entire point is to be to be able to make that statement accurate but not precise yeah i okay so in that particular case when he says that i don't know for certain that he's quoting intensity targets that's a, a good point though because we often can't tell when the harper government is talking about absolute emissions or or just emissions intensity that's a very good point i, I only assume that because he's been on the later in the interview and he's been on the foghorn for the last quarter basically uh but very very recently he made a couple of big statements about not only are we not laggards on the climate but alberta's climate policy is a template for north america okay well that was something i did want to talk about yeah so, uh, why, don't, so why don't i yeah. stop there and you can go ahead yeah okay so here's the thing here's here's like the like kind of the quote from the interview with regards to climate change and and Peter Mansbridge trotted out the the infamous uh, twenty seven or twenty oh seven quote from Stephen Harper. It was twenty oh six now. Uh, uh, climate change is perhaps the biggest threat to confront the future of humanity today. And he asked, "Do you believe that?" And Stephen Harper's answer was, "I think it's a significant threat. Geez, where does it rank in terms of our economic challenges? In terms of the jihadism that we now face globally?" It's still a big threat. Emphasis mine, sarcasm mine. Uh, so, so you know, in two thousand and seven, uh, climate change was was rightfully understood to be an existential threat, a, th a threat confronting our species. And now, a few years later, we can't tell it apart from some economic woes and and what Harper wants to package as global jihadism. So, I mean, what economic difficulties? 
the financial crisis that we've apparently weathered so well because Stephen Harper is such a great steward of the economy, that financial crisis, this thing that he's claiming is over and he conquered to some extent. Um, are, are what is it the economic crisis or or difficulties uh, where we're where you know uh, the the um, federal government and the Alberta government are, and, and other governments for that matter are facing some budget shortfalls because of the falling price of oil? Well, those are self-inflicted wounds, and everyone warned you about that. You know, if you're going <laughs> to hitch the economy to oil, be prepared for this. This is it's a commodities market. It's boom and bust. This is this is just I mean so. So it's either uh, the economic woes that have either are either behind us, thanks to your great management, or, or economic woes that are self-inflicted, thanks to your great management. So, so then there's that. And then as far as this like global war on this global jihadism. Can I, can I pause you before we move to jihadism? Actually, I, I have a comment about the, the Putin link for a second. I, when I was trying desperately to fall asleep at three something last night, I was reading <laughs> international news because I figured, you know, what else would, would help me fall asleep? It didn't work, by the way. Uh, I eventually had to read web comics. Um, but I was reading um, some of the stories, and there was a, the, the, re- the press conference you were mentioning with uh, Vladimir Putin, uh, who was there, and he had a, a very what, how many hours did you say? It was four four he, hour he press questions for four hours. Um, you know, in but just Russia. just off camera. There's you know guys with Kalashnikovs pointed at all the journalists, so I mean nothing <laughs> unscripted wasn't going to happen. But you know he was still on camera for four hours, and that's something. <laughs> uh, so I, I, I was unaware of that. But, yeah. I, that that may or may not be factual. I okay, I was just wondering if that was some, <laughs> some hyperbole or not. Yeah, I'm having a little bit of fun. Right. Uh, I also just like saying Kalishnikov. Um, but the 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 one of the things that I that just really jumped out at me, even in my desperate attempt to fall asleep while reading this. Um, was that further down the article? You know, he's he's saying, you know, it's it's ama- it's the amazing double speak that 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 just is so. It's a new normal now for I think for for leaders um, to just be so brazen about like if you actually understand the words they're using and the context into which they're using them, you know that they're at best being incredibly misleading. But so many people don't. And if you, as long as you don't understand for any context for them, they sound, wow, this guy really knows what he's doing, and thank God we have this guy in charge. Uh, and, and a good example of that was he was, you know, going on, you know, out of one side of his mouth was saying how the, the West sanctions in response to uh, what was going on in Crimea and, and Ukraine uh, had no impact, and, and, and you know, we're, we're two years and an absolute, this is, a, I, this is almost a quote, I won't say quote, but this is almost a quote, that within two years, and uh, within two years at, in the worst case scenario that their economy will be back up and higher than it was before it started tipping off and all these sorts of things. I think that's insanity. Um, but anyway, but he was he was going on and saying all sorts of things. And one of the things that he said, and I was just like, wow, that's amazing, uh, was that, you know, one of the things he was saying was, uh, well, clearly Russia, to have a strong future, needs to decentralize its oil system and had immediately begun a massive restructuring of their economy away from energy infrastructure and towards manufacturing uh, and innovation. And I thought, holy bleep. <laughs> yeah. Really? Yeah, that's interesting. So what we have worse than Putin as far as like being able to see the writing on the wall and do things to protect your future about it. Is well, maybe it's just because Putin's actually gonna be around to benefit from the results of that and Harper knows he isn't? Is that really the only difference, Kevin? Well Harper's clearly succeeded in turning Canada into a Dutch disease superpower. I mean energy superpower. <laughs> um, uh, anyway, I want to try back to this like other this other sort of thing that is now a greater threat than the existential threat to our species, uh, which is global jihadism. And and, mm. and I, I don't want to go down this rabbit hole too deeply, but Thomas Wacom Wacom, <clears throat> excuse me, 
who's a columnist for the Toronto Star, uh, had a piece, I think this was just Wednesday, uh, the 24th, um, and it was titled, Canada's War on Terror Has a Catch-22 Absurdity. And this is a really good article uh, that's about a very kind of specific point, but there's, but there's a quote I'm taking a little out of context here that serves my purposes, that was the line of the week as far as I'm concerned. Uh, and look, okay, here's a quote. Look at Prime Minister Stephen Harper's air war against the Islamic State. According to Ottawa, it is part of an epic battle for the future of civilization. Yet, in almost 50 days of warfare, Canadian fighter jets have released their bombs only nine times. In part, this is because the U.S. coalition can't find enough enemies of civilization to bomb. <laughs> so there it is. We, we have an existential threat to, to civilization. We just can't find them. There's not enough of them to unleash armaments. Uh, so, so, you know, again, if, this, if we suddenly can't distinguish runaway climate change from some regional extremism and some transient economic difficulties. And of course we can. I mean, this is absurd. This is utterly absurd. This is just Stephen Harper spinning things. He is, he is, he is, he is telling us once again, he said in 2000, the statement he made in 2007 was because uh, climate change was tracking higher, uh, was polling higher among the concerns of the electorate, uh, much higher. And today it is tracking, trending upwards. It's not nearly at the sort of the 2007 levels. But concern about climate change is rising. So out comes some, uh, some talking points. And the particular one that caught everyone's attention is that, and you mentioned this, this is what got us on this little segment, uh, Stephen Harper seems to have reversed himself about carbon pricing. And he has, he has trotted, or he suggested that the Alberta model for carbon pricing uh, is, is, might be something, you know, a path forward, something he's willing to consider. Um, okay, first of all, no, he's not going to do this. He's not. Look at everything he has done to avoid putting emissions regulations on the oil and gas sector. He has abused power. He has subverted democracy. He has misappropriated millions upon millions of dollars in funds, uh, no small amount of which was just to buy advertising to sell us on his, 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 like, his tar sands agenda. Um, he uh, he got into a peeing contest. Can I say that? <laughs> or tried I, I, to? I, th I think we can get away with that. Yeah, tried to start one with the Obama administration over Keystone XL. I mean, anything and everything. I mean, and and the irritant to key, or one irritant to Keystone XL was emissions, the, the high emissions from the tar sands, and and part of part of the part of the reason Keystone was was not getting approved, one of the irritants to the approval process was those emissions. But even then, even faced there, like emission, emissions regulations that he's been promising since 2006, even then he wouldn't do them because it seemed it seemed somehow wiser to st like try to browbeat the Obama administration. Are you kidding me? Like one, you've got zero clout. Two, even a casual acquaintance, acquaintance with history and common sense will tell you this is not going to work. So on top of everything, like, I mean, we, he, will, he will do anything and everything but impose emissions regulations on the tar sands. So he's not going to do it now. If he does it now, 
Well, okay, we will play this clip back and 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 humili- humiliate me out here. He will do. I, I'm I'm happy for you to be humiliated on this point, Kevin. Oh, I would, I would, I would. Uh, yeah, I, I would. Potentially, I would, just in general. No. I would ditch my vegetarian diet for a day of crow. Absolutely, a, 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 a meal of crow uh, happily. If I was wrong about this, but yeah, that's, uh, you know, that's double pen- penalty, folks. In case anyone missed that, Kevin's a vegan, so that's like that's double down. Yeah. So, but the thing is, he will do something if he has to. But the point is, is that we can't spend the rest of uh we just can't spend any more time trying to fight with Stephen Harper on taking action on climate change like we need someone committed to doing this as opposed to someone we're going to have to constantly you know uh uh motivate so uh so uh, so the thing the thing with the alberta and I know you want to take a break soon so I'll just try mm-hmm. this out about the alberta pricing model <clears throat> the the alberta pricing model it, it, or the, the 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 model for pricing carbon in alberta it applies only to the largest emitters. So you have to be emitting above a certain level before it even comes into play. And it only penalizes you if you fail to improve your intensity. Uh, So intensity, unfortunately, we still have to keep talking about this. I don't know how many years we've been talking about intensity. But intensity just means um, your, your emissions intensity is the amount of emissions you produce per unit of output. So if your, if your output is, uh, if your output is going up, and your emissions are also going up, but your output's just going up faster. Well, your intensity's falling, even though emissions are rising. And there's, um, you're even, so there's lots of ways that you can be improving in, in your, your intensity uh, while, while emissions are still rising, absolutely. There's, there's scenarios under which um, improving your intensity uh, does lower your emissions. Um, like if, you're, if your output stays the same, but you're constantly required to improve your intensity, well, that means your emissions are falling. But there's many scenarios under which this doesn't work, and I think this system is designed to fail. I think the reason this metric is used is, is because it's window dressing. It's, it's, a, it's a diversion. It, it makes it sound like you're making progress when you don't necessarily have to be making progress. And what's really interesting is that you know he ignores BC, and I've actually not been giving BC their due credit on this show, um, they have a, a carbon pricing system in BC that's a straight-up tax on carbon. Hands down, the best way to do this. You don't bring in, like, market volatilities with cap-and-trade, people trading emissions permits and whatnot. You just slap a tax on things, and you drive the... You, you tax a bad... As a, you tax a bad you don't want, and you divert that money into a good that you do want, and you drive the bad behavior out of existence, and you funnel the money into good behavior that you want. It, it's revenue neutral. But Kevin, that sounds really complicated. Well, yet, I mean, and yet, <laughs> and yet, our country is run by the master economist. Uh, and so, so there was. There's a really good article, uh, actually, going back to July, uh, in in the Globe and Mail. That's kind of weirdly progressive, like over the last year on climate issues. It seems, and it's called "The Shocking Truth About BC's Carbon Tax." It works. Uh, so look that up. It's a great read. And also, just like. The other day, um, December 8, in a speech uh, by the um, World Bank Group President, uh, Jim Yong Kim, titled Sending a Signal from Paris, Transforming the Economy to Achieve Zero Net Emissions, uh, he says, and I'm just going to pull a quote here, the example of British Columbia is one of the most powerful. Its carbon price mechanism is neutral to the taxpayer. It's not an increase in tax. 
blah, 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 emissions are going down. Like, it's working. It, it's, it's not just that intensity is going down. It's working. And this, I, I mean, you know, this is certainly from some left-leaning hippie high on kale from the, the World Bank. <laughs> the, world, the World Bank. Uh, so, so, you know, people are saying this is, you know, maybe a sea change in Harper's policy. Um, even if I don't believe it for a second, but you know, as they've said, we'll we'll happily break out some takeout crow on the show if we can, mm-hmm. uh, and um, and and certainly he'll do something if 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 he's utterly backed into a corner, you know, with regards to polling for you know in the run up to an election, he might he might make some more empty promises. He might do something, but it'll be without a doubt the least possible amount he has to do to achieve. To, to mollify people to the extent that he feels he must, and that'll be the end of it. And even if he does make good on this particular model for pricing carbon, it's this terrible model that can fail utterly while still claiming success. And we'll, uh, I think we'll leave right before we go to a music break with just something. I've been, I was recently added because we, uh, Stefan and I made a, a very popular, turns out, video uh, somewhat trolling the CEO of Kinder Morgan, uh, Ian Anderson, in response to something he had put out in a few weeks ago. And as a result of uh, attempting to promote that, I, I joined a whole bunch of uh, Facebook groups and stuff. And, and I've stayed involved, in, and some of them actually have quite lively uh, discussions in them that are, that are, um, uh, I was surprised that they were sort of very constructive because generally a lot of the stuff is sort of more of a hate pile on. Somebody and, said something constructive online. I know. Well, it was in a private Facebook group. <laughs> oh, Don't Lord. worry. Nobody said anything constructive in public or oh, I realized that thank God the, I'm sitting down. earth would have imploded. Yeah. Um, but another one uh, and another one was also has also turned out to be uh, quite a good news source. The people who are part of it, it's got, about, I think, there's a couple thousand members and people are really good about um, thing. And I've actually I've, I've been using it quite a bit to, to pull news stories from. So thanks very much to uh, to those folks. It is a private group, so I won't give them a plug but um but one of the things i did come across which nearly floored me was that somebody kept and i think i can probably get away with this because i'm just insinuating something was uh, somebody kept saying something about blah, blah blah harper's lap dance except lap had two p's and was all caps and it took me a minute to catch on what they were getting at uh it's uh legislation against public participation <laughs> yeah except it's it should be the proper name is slap uh, I think it's I think it's usually called a slap strategic legislation against public participation. Oh, is that, oh no, yeah. well, it's, yeah. uh, slap is normally a strategic lawsuits. Yeah, sir. Oh, yeah, sir. No, no. Yeah, you're right. You're the, right. Yeah, the, the joke. Yeah, the joke yeah. was that it was the yeah. was that it was the other side of the uh, other side of the bench. Uh, you know. Yes, yeah, oh. uh, that that flew right. Way to ruin my joke, Kevin. Yeah, there was me, and then <laughs> and, and then way over there was was the point. Uh, <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to take a quick uh, – I was going to say commercial. Man, I've been watching too much television over the holidays. <laughs> we're going to take a quick it's music still break. CIUT, folks. You're listening to CIUT. It is community radio. There is no commercials other than me advertising our website, which is greenmajority.ca. We'll be back in a couple minutes, folks. This is my prairie, this is my home, and I'll make a stand here, and I'll die alone. Well, they can drill naked mine on my smoldering bones. This is my prairie, this is my home. Water is poison, my calves are all dead. Children are sick, 
in the aquifer's bled. They want a big pipeline right through Pops Grove. But this is my prairie and this is my home. Can't blame the riggers for the guys driving trucks, for feeding the families and making a buck. But take a close look at the stock that you own. Cause this is my prairie, this is my home. Don't got money that lawyers can buy. I don't got my own government's laws on my side. But I got this old rifle that my granddaddy owned. This is my prairie. This is my This is my home. I'll make my stand here and I'll die alone. Well, they can drill naked mine on my moldering bone. This is my prairie. This is my home. We are back uh, after our first music break here, and uh, but boy, Kevin and I got to talking, so we're a little bit past where we would normally be at this part in the show. So we're going to do two kind of quicker segments now with our with our half hour that was left. Uh, Kevin, a listener recently uh, encouraged me slash chastised me about uh, to say the songs that we play on air because uh, generally we don't because generally I don't know what they are until we get there, and I never ask you. Um, did you program the music this week? No, today I didn't actually. This, ah. is, this is this is our new our new uh, colleague. Uh, Neil, Neil, if you can figure out how to work the mic in there, uh, well, you're welcome to to jump in and tell us because uh, I want to get into it's... the good habit of actually telling people what we're listening to. Uh, if you you can just let me know when you're ready if you figure it out. Uh, in the meantime. Um, Kevin, we wanted to wrap up a little bit on on climate because I didn't want I didn't want to spend the whole show because as much as it is the issue, oh, I, I want to get off it too. It's not the only it's not the only thing. <laughs> yeah, um, please God, someone take action on climate change so we can stop talking about it. You got me. Yeah, we got you, Neil. So what was yeah, it? What were you we listening uh, to today? That was uh, Core Blunt and the Hurtin' Albertans, and the song was called "This Is This Is My Prairies." Oh, thanks very much. That was a nice track. I like that. You got you got one more from the from the next break. Is that the same artist for us coming up, uh, or you, or somebody else that's gonna that you're gonna do uh, for the next one? Uh, yeah, I'm, I uh, the next one is just a 
just a song by a song by Hosier, and uh, it's called Jackie and Wilson. No, uh, it's just a it's a song that it would, I thought it'd be fun. It's kind of bluesy and jazzy and uh, kind of upbeat. So yeah, yeah, no, appreciate that, it. Yeah. Good good music picks this week. I'll get you to come back and remind us after we play the next one again. Uh, but that'll be just in a couple minutes. So thanks and thanks both of uh, we have uh, two techs in the studio today. Plus Kevin, it's a packed house considering it's the day after a holiday. So thank you to everybody for getting out of bed and getting here. Much appreciated. Thanks, dear. Um, so we, we're, we're going to wrap this up, I think, a little bit on the climate issue. You uh, directed me to a uh, crazy Harper, what was it? Uh, yeah, cra- Harper's crazy oil, uh, oil and gas regulation timeline uh, with some funny items on here. But uh, you've had uh, more time to look at it than I, uh, Kevin. Do you, do you know any highlights you wanted to, to pull out for us? Um, it, it's, uh, how do you, oh, <laughs> all this newfangled technology. Um, yeah, so I was actually thinking of doing this myself and then Press Progress, a site that I really enjoy, beat me to it. Um, and they've got a timeline. The first two are out of order, though. So here's a timeline of quotes from Stephen Harper and some of his uh, avatars over the years on climate change, uh, or sorry, uh, G- greenhouse gas emissions. Uh, the first one is, uh, okay, this is Rona, Rona, Rona Ambrose, 2006. It's time for us to stop politely asking industry to do the right thing, and we need to move on with legislation. Rana Ambrose, 2006. Stephen Harper, 2006. The oil and gas sector will be regulated. They will be regulated. (laughs) If we... Oh, darn it. Um, Okay, sorry. I double-touched the screen here. They will be regulated. If we are going to make significant progress on some of these emissions in particular greenhouse gases that will have to that will have to include significant that will have to include significant progress in the oil sands themselves Stephen Harper 2006 uh, then we get John Baird in 2008 we're moving full speed ahead with our plan to regulate the large polluters all right so we're making progress 2 years later we're moving full speed ahead um, is, then, that, is that like when you approach the speed of light that things like a time starts to get distorted? Is that, is that what, <laughs> is he moving so fast that it appears like he's not moving at all? Uh, it's amazing. Well, I so, recommend brief history of time for anyone that isn't familiar with that. Okay. Concept. So two years later, after, after, after we were moving full speed ahead in 2008, two years later, Jim Prentice, these are all, I think this is a list of ministers of the environment, by the way, uh, a portfolio that has changed hands many times over the years. For those of you who doubt that the government of Canada lacks either the willingness or the authority to protect our national interests as a clean energy superpower, think again. We do and we will. Ooh, we're talking tough now. It's four years later. Still haven't taken any action, but the talk's getting tougher. Mm. Um, then three years after that, we get uh, Peter Kent. Uh, we are now well into and very close to finalizing regulations for the oil and gas sector. Uh, I'm going to come back to him, actually, sorry. Uh, Then, in the speech from the throne, the same year, the government vows to enshrine the polluter pay system into law. Fascinating. Um, And then, finally, uh, Leona Gluka, in uh, 2013, uh, she said, it, it, oh, darn it, this screen is, is... uh, foiling me at every at every movie. <laughs> it is at this time for me. It is at this time for me premature to say when they will be ready. Meaning the the regulations. So now it's premature. Um, 
<laughs> oh man, they say these things with a straight but yeah, face. You have to you have to read very carefully. What they were talking about was light speed was yeah. and and all this movement and and there will be. They were talking about her statement. So they're like, any day now, we're very quickly working yeah. on her position statement, which is it's too premature to do anything. Well, the, but the, don't confuse action with talking about action. These are two different concepts. Yeah, the, 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 the second half of the quote is, there has been good progress in that area over the last <laughs> few years. And then concluding with Stephen Harper's now infamous comment, just the, made recently, under the current circumstances of the oil and gas sector, it would be crazy. It would be crazy economic policy to impose unilateral penalties on that sector. And clearly we're not, we're clearly not going to do it. So I got to make a, I just, oh, sorry, I cannot pass this up. Can I, can I stop you there just for, for a brief moment, which was, I actually had that written, that unilateral uh, comment written down. Um, Cause you know what the definition of not unilateral is? Whatever the, whatever the opposite of unilateral is, do you know how, what that definition is? International climate meetings. Well, yeah. That's the complete freaking opposite of unilateral by yeah. definition. Yeah. Yeah. So, so a couple of things. <laughs> I don't think that word means what he think it means. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. I mean, we, we uh, yeah. Okay. So I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to swat these out in order so I don't distract myself here. Uh, Peter Kent mused recently, or at least an article <laughs> reported uh, his musings, that he was actually sort of forced out of government for getting too close to, to finalizing the, oil, the regulations for the oil and gas sector. Because uh, he took that seriously. He had a mandate to do that, and he set about doing that. And, and, and there's some talk, and I think this talk originates with him, um, that he got pushed out of government for actually doing this. Um, the other, this business about we're going to enshrine polluter pays is fascinating because we're against reparations to developing nations um, to, this, you know, these climate funds to help developing nations defend themselves from the impacts of climate change. And some people are saying, well, that's charity. No, it's not. It's reparations. We put the carbon in the atmosphere. The rich nations did that. We profited from that. Now everyone else is like dealing with the floods and the droughts. And the Philippines just can't keep absorbing uh, you know, typhoon after typhoon after typhoon uh, in Bangladesh. You know, these are, I mean, these countries are suffering from the impacts of climate change. We owe them because th that's not charity, it's reparations. So if you're all for polluter pays, why aren't the polluters who put the carbon in the atmosphere, why aren't they paying? But, uh, you, know, but you know what it is? I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of like buying a... Uh, I don't know. Let me. Let's say I. It's Boxing Day today, or it is. It is live here. If you happen to be listening to us live broadcast, if not, you're. You're. You know. This is in the past. Woo. Um, but today it's Boxing Day here in Toronto in in the live studio as we're recording. So let's say you know I went out and bought a 65 inch you know 120 megahertz whatever HD 3D TV with you know all the bells and whistles and glitter. Um, but I put it on a credit card. And then I, you know, never paid it and interest accumulated and it was like a billion dollars. Uh, and then, you know, I pass away and, and my son or uh, daughter inherits the credit card and goes, I didn't get this TV, so I shouldn't have to pay for this. Now, I have a lot of sympathy for you that you, that you got screwed by somebody else's decision, but that doesn't mean I should pay for it. <laughs> Or sorry, I'm confusing myself in the metaphor, but that doesn't mean somebody else should pay for the TV. It really sucks and it's unfortunate and I could understand why you wouldn't want to deal with it. But not liking to do something doesn't mean you don't have to do it. You can't sort of complain that I don't like actually having to deal with the situation that I'm in in reality, which is that I have a responsibility to deal with something. 
doesn't mean I get to pretend it doesn't exist. And yeah, I, I don't is, know. That's what it feels like. It's well, kind it's, of like I didn't do this, and I haven't. And what's sort of the subtext there is I didn't personally benefit from this. From all from from I mean you know he did in in the immediate sense um, you know as as far as sort of where the funding uh, and everything comes but I mean he didn't benefit from the last hundred years of of modern civilization and first world nations personally and so it's like so so why should my buddies now have to have to pay for it oh, I and, and I really I think, think it's very think, childish no we've we've utterly benefited from this we've built our infrastructure and our economies and. No, but I, I mean, I mean, him all of this. Yeah, I mean, Harper personally. Sure, he has because he lives in this society. He's benefited from this, you know, quote unquote wealth that we've accumulated. And we, you know, we need to call these, we need to call these, this climate fund what it is, reparations. We, mm-hmm. we, we just, you know, so the, and the other, the other thing to just to swat two talking points down that unfortunately will not die a decent death and we'll be driving a stake through the heart of these talking points forever. Zombie talking Zog- points. Zombie talking points is, um, and these are also from the the Mansbridge interview, although I'm paraphrasing now because I've I've set my notes aside. Ooh, ooh, I know what zombie talking points sound like. Claims, claim. Never mind. <laughs> um, one is that uh, is that climate change demands sort of bold international action. Fine, but we're the only country on Earth to have withdrawn from the Kyoto Protocol, otherwise known as bold international action. And we've been famous since for working to sabotage. You know any other attempts at bold international action? So, so uh, you know that's a that's a talking point that should have gotten some legitimate pushback in the interview. And the other one is um, that our energy strategy here in Canada has to be integrated with the U.S. and Mexico. It just has to be because we're not going to impose unilateral penalties. Um, fine. Are we in any talks to accomplish that? I don't think so. You know, are, like if it needs to happen. Why aren't we doing that? Like, if that's the stumbling block, then of course, so where are these negotiations? Where are these talks? Where's, you know, what, what are we doing to accomplish that? Well, apparently, apparently we're, we're, we're doing nothing. And yet somehow, despite the fact that on one hand, we will, we refuse over and over and over and over and over again to take what Harper's calling unilateral actions, we're assured at every other uh, um, point that somehow Canada's taking a leadership role. So you just can't have it both ways. You're either taking a leadership role which is, you know, another word for unilateral, another term for unilateral action, or you're not taking unilateral action, you're refusing to do that, in which case you just can't claim you're being any kind of a leader on these issues. Yeah. I wanted to... Sorry, I know you wanted to get off that topic, and so do I, but darn it, man. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think I I have a little, I have a little thing that I wanted to do, uh, which is just to talk about sort of, you know, my, I I can't even call it a New Year's resolution, because really, it's, it's, I'm asking other people to make this their resolution. So it's my, it's my New Year's begging decree, sort of, I guess, uh, as far as, you know, how we can go about, I think, considering where we are, Go about making some some real progress in in the coming year. Uh, real is intangible, not real is in everything will be solved this year. But I I think there is a really good opportunity upcoming, and I would like to to share some of my thoughts on that. And then then Kevin, you're obviously free to jump in and tell me I'm delusional. Um, but before we do that, so we'll we'll go to our second and final music break in just one second. I just wanted to make one uh, quick point this year, um, this year, uh, which was the I don't know if you saw the story of the year came out uh, all of these newsrooms uh, 83 newsrooms across canada were polled as to what they thought the story of the year was this year um and all but 10 said the bilbo uh shooting uh, a very tragic bilbo uh, Bil- uh, bebo yeah bebo, bebo. Uh, they have bebo yeah uh, very but, tragic but we shooting. shouldn't say his name we should talk about Cor- corporal nathan cirillo yes um <clears throat> far far more important and relevant um 
but the that was that was decided to be the story of the year and and i and i i don't disagree um but sort of between that and Harper's statement kind of bringing full circle just to sort of wrap this topic up when he was sort of saying that, you know, the yes, 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 yes. But the really big threat right now is terrorism um, was that nothing made me more angry that he's still saying, you know, speaking of saying things and being unchallenged um, is is that in that sort of in his sort of year end address, he was saying and, and I, I don't remember if there was direct or just implied reference to that event, um, but was saying, blah, 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 you know, extreme terrorism, we have to be really worried, like that event, like that horrible event. It's like, we've already, it's already been demonstrated beyond any shadow of a doubt that there was no terrorist links, because otherwise, I know how I know that, because if we would be hearing about it 24 hours a day if they had found any link. 24 well, they, hours a day. They claim, the RCMP claims that he, he I mean, they, they say they have a video where where uh, the man himself makes, uh, makes, uh, uh, sort of terrorist ISIL illusions, but they won't release the tape uh, or the video. And uh, and and yeah, I think Thomas Mulcair summed this up perfectly. This is not terrorism the way we commonly understand the term. Uh, and and I, I happen to agree with you. If there if there were some credible link to organized terrorism, like an actual sort of organized terrorist threat, I I, I think we'd be swimming in that news for sure. Yeah, and so I guess <clears throat> I guess my sort of final thought on that topic was, you know, regardless of your, uh, I'll get into my my request early, I guess, right before the break. But my first one, just before we go to break, would be, you know, don't let people get away with this. And this has nothing to do with different parties. That's an outright lie by somebody in a position of authority who's who's distracting you for you can assume whatever you wish to assume about what the purpose of that is. Oh, it's great politics, but it, there is absolutely no way you can say with a straight face that he's just misinformed because then we have like the world's worst government on the <laughs> the worst government on the planet as far as knowing what the facts are there's no way he does not know that that is not truthful um and so no matter who you think should be in charge of this government no one should uh, i would hope would be in would be in favor of people who make up things to distract people from actual issues regardless of what you think those actual issues are otherwise known as politics thank you Ken. <laughs> we'll be right back after this music break
Neil, again, remind us, uh, remind us who that was. We're going to try and get into a good habit about this. Yeah, that was uh, Hosier, an Irish Irish artist, and uh, he's he's really blown up in 2014 and getting a lot of attention. Awesome. Well, thanks so much. Uh, Neil will be contributing largely to, I think, our music for the next while, or at least when he has the opportunity. So, uh, if you liked uh, his picks today, let us know. We'll right. we'll we'll keep him hired. Yeah, thanks, Darren. <laughs> so we are just down to the, the the last ten minutes here. So I just I had a, a quick diatribe. I kind of opened it up there a little bit, but um, I'm going to try and get through it as quick as possible, and then and then we'll we'll give Kevin sort of the last word on this. But uh, there's a few things that I've sort of been um, observing. I've I've been more immersed in the sort of street level activism, and in, uh, in the sense, not me literally going out and sort of participating necessarily, but uh, I've been out to several uh, public actions as a journalist and sort of observed from the side. Uh, I went uh, with uh, Stefan, as you know, down to New York City this year for the, you know, 400,000 people on the street for any reason was an insane uh, experience. Um, uh, you know, much less people who were really charged about, quote unquote, saving the planet. Um, you know, is a whole bunch of really new experiences. And I sort of have some some thoughts and, and they're not directly as a result of thoughts. So I'm not I, I, any of these that sound like criticisms. I'm not saying, you know, from that experience, the people I met, those are the people that I'm that I'm talking to. But it just it sort of helped to round out my opinion on a few things. Um, the first one was that I've sort of mentioned this in passing, but I actually I want to try and make this a thing. So because I, I realize there's probably not nearly as many people listening today, uh, even in even on the, the cast off, probably not. It's just the time of the year. This is the last show of the year. So, you know, this is we don't probably have as many as many listeners today as we normally would. Um, so I'm going to bring this back up in the new year. But I think one of the things was that Harper's always gone on and, and always got a, <clears throat> a lot of attention around, you know, well, it would, you know, we'd love to do something about climate, but, you know, our, our, our economy is, is, you know, tied to the, the tar sand. So what can we do? Um, <clears throat> is sort of when he says when he's, you know, in, a, in front of a either middle of the road or potentially hostile uh, audience, when he's in front of a completely you know, home audience is built in audience. <clears throat> he loves talking about it being proudly how we're uh, Canada is an energy superpower. Uh, and kind of, you know, he, he almost sounds like it at his most near, nearly Putin when he's talking about like stuff like that. Um, so I want to, ch- I want to flip the script, if you will, on that a little bit. And, and we need to start be talking about, I think, yes, we should be an energy superpower. I just wish to be a clean energy superpower. Uh, because if we don't, we are going to be stuck buying all of that stuff from other countries who did get on the bandwagon, and we're not going to have any resources that we can dig up to sell them to pay for it. So I don't even think this is like a, wouldn't it be nice if? I think this is absolutely critical for Canada to be, remain relevant out of anything outside of the you know, plus one state of the U.S. 
that we need to be a clean energy superpower. We need to be doing R&D. We need to be doing research. We need to be educating people. We need to funnel money into innovation. This is not only helping our own self-interest in the short term. It's helping our self-interest in the long term. And if we don't dig up all that fancy oil stuff, guess what? When it gets more and more rare, it'll be worth even more. So if it turns out we can get away from digging, again, get away with digging up a little bit more, which I'm not promoting, but just saying, it'll be worth more later <laughs> when everybody else has run out. So th this is absolutely the best idea. And I just really want to start, uh, I, I think we need to talk about that because, and, and the, the place it comes down to a criticism is not just to do, I think this is a good idea, but this is something that hopefully has a, maybe a, a, a chance in hell uh, of getting some mushy middle people over because it's talking about wanting something and not being against something. And I think just that constant language of we have to stop this, we have to stop that and not offering replacement, even though I think that those people, generally many of them do have replacements and there certainly are replacements for those things. Like we'll, we'll stop this and then do that in its place. Um, but it doesn't get talked about enough. And so the people that are very, very sensitive to, you know, I'm very sympathetic to your environmental argument, but I don't want to lose my job. Uh, we need something to offer them. And I think this is what we offer them. I, I'm going to hear Kevin, uh, comment, Kevin, but let me just zip through the last couple notes I had here. Um, <clears throat> this is something I, I go on quite a bit, uh, which is organizing before elections with all parties. I'm not pro, personally, I'm not pro party. The show is not pro a particular party. Kevin is when widely on record as criticizing everybody from A to Z. Um, so I don't mean this with any bias, but we don't, democracy doesn't happen at the voting box. Uh, and I, and in, in, in fact, I think in my personal opinion that Things you can do in between elections have way more impact than your single vote. So if you're going to you know, do something and you have to pick one, be very, very active in between elections. And if you really feel very sarcastic and you don't want to vote at the end of it, fine. But we, of course, I would prefer that you did. But the, the thing is, the, when the, by the time the parties have put their platforms together and they're ready to election, they've done all sorts of research. They think they know what needs to be said for them to be said for, for their positioning to get them elected. The way that you change what that stuff is, the thing that you're actually voting for, the thing on the menu that you would say, I'd like that, please, gets decided way ahead of that. So that's when you actually have to do something, which is now, which is every minute leading up until that point. If you wait until it's ballot time, you really don't have anything you get to complain about. Uh, third thing, and then I realize we're running tight on time, so we'll get your comment. The last thing we'll stick in was I wrote down stop being a blank. I won't say the word. The word isn't necessary. We need to be more inclusive about who we're reaching out to. One of the things I learned about New York, and I won't tell the story, but I've told it before, uh, was there's an awful lot of folks who could be on our side, except we haven't reached out to them. And I'm sort of getting at the sort of uh, first wave of feminism that basically was only for rich uh, or middle upper class white women. Um, and then everybody else got inclusive and it actually became much more successful at that point, at that later point. Um, and I, I think it's, I don't think that sort of environmentalism is in the exact same way, just a sort of white middle upper class thing. Uh, but there's a lot of other groups with a lot of other issues that if we can reach out to them and realize that a lot of the, our issues and concerns are not only shared, but can be addressed with similar types of courses of action, we can maybe actually get some stuff done. So I think we need to stop sort of yelling. We need to go out and do some stuff. And one of the things that we need to focus on is reaching out to other built-in communities that already technically agree with us on a lot of stuff. We're just not talking to them. Those are my three thoughts for to close out the year show. We have five minutes left. Kevin, for comment. Oh, wow. Way to, <laughs> way to back up the truck and, <laughs> and unload. 
<laughs> I, I don't have a. Uh, I need that soundboard. Yeah. Uh, we need a shotgun shell um, casing. Ching ching. Yeah, uh, uh, I don't know. Pick one. Um, superpower. What do you think of my superpower idea? Well, yeah. So look, the way I look at this is, we need to reach zero carbon, and we need to reach zero carbon like tomorrow. So, so you know, the how we, you know, we need to organize our ourselves, our politics, and our economies around that principle. And not try to organize that principle around our politics and our and our economies. And you're right about you know sort of the clean age, or the the clean energy age, which it will be needs to be upon us and will be upon us at some point. The other thing that you know uh, doesn't get talked about very much is that oil is actually so stunningly useful in manufacturing plastics. That it's almost ridiculous. It, it is ridiculous to be burning that stuff when we have alternatives. Uh, plastics are an environmental scourge. Don't get me wrong. But we could be manufacturing recyclable plastics, and we could be actually um, recapturing and reclaiming and reusing all of that material. I'm sure we could do that if we just applied some of this ingenuity we keep patting ourselves on the back for. How many billion dollars got dumped down the carbon capture and storage uh, program in Alberta alone? I can actually get that number for next week, mm. but it's a big Oh, it's, it's ridiculous. And, like, you know, plastics, the way we're making them right now, are without a doubt a scourge, environmental scourge. But they, they don't need to be. And, and yeah, we, we run the risk of getting left behind in a, a clean energy age. Uh, we, we definitely run that risk. But we run a much bigger risk of just not getting to zero carbon in time. So, so there's definitely that to consider. And, yeah, oil. I mean, oil has other uses. We, burning this stuff when we've got alternatives is – now that's crazy. <laughs> but I, I think the big stopping point for a lot of people is, is what, like what I was saying. It's, it's, it's what are you offering me instead? And I think that – I think there's a, a huge opportunity to get in the ground floor. By the way, we've got some catching up to do because there's a whole bunch of countries that are, that are already out of the gate sprinting on this. Well, yeah, and the, the – you know, uh, yeah, and to go back to the economy a little bit, the economy is not a thing. It's an activity. It's a, it's a what we call the economy is a, is a description of, of an activity we are all engaging in. There's really no – it's not the economy. It's an economy. And, and even if – to the extent that it is its own beast, it should be our servant and not our master. And we changed our economies. We changed our societies on a dime pretty much to meet the threat of World War – Nazis in, the, in World War II. We need to do that again. And if you – just to – we got a minute left, and you talked about reaching out to other communities, and that's a clunky segue because I wanted to say this segue or no segue. <laughs> uh, another comment that sort of jumped out from that interview with Mansbridge was uh, when Stephen Harper was asked about uh, an inquiry regarding uh, missing and murdered Indigenous women in Canada. And he said, with, he, with a straight face, he said, that's not high on our radar. Uh, yeah, I just find that unacceptable. But by the same token, uh, a political radar is obviously useful if you don't have a moral compass. So um, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe the political radar of Stephen Harper isn't the issue. Maybe he just needs a better moral compass. All right. And that's where we're going to close the show this week. You've been listening to The Green Majority here live at CIUT 89.5 FM. <laughs>